This is In Focus on WSIU. I'm Jeff Williams. I recently talked with playwright, actor, and author Ernest Thompson for this edition of In the Author's Voice. Thompson is probably best known for his Academy Award-winning movie, On Golden Pond. He's now out with his very first novel, a father and son story called The Book of Maps. As I read the book, and I can't help but wonder, is part of this your story? Well, 20 years ago, I did take such a road trip with my then 10-year-old son. And we drove from L.A. to New Hampshire. And I didn't know I was doing research for a book at the time, as happens in life for us storytellers, but I certainly retained a lot of it. And when the pandemic came along, I had a movie I was about to start working on, and uh, the world stopped, as you know. Uh, And I sat down to write a story, and that's the one that came to me, and that's the way it works sometimes. It takes place in in the summer of 2002. We meet... um, Brendan, the, your your main main protagonist, that I guess, like a lot of folks, is having some some issues in life, but he somehow discovers he gets this book of 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 maps and 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 takes his son on this adventure. Um, kind of set the stage for us. Well, it's a twofold thing. First of all, um, the idea of taking a road trip with um, your dad when you're 10 years old is probably a mixed blessing because the kid didn't want to leave his buddies. He didn't want to leave L.A., uh, and so he was resistant. The father thought it was a super idea uh, because he wanted to show the boy his America. He'd driven back and forth several times, as is true of me in my life. But he also has a mission. He has a secret he needs to share with the kid. And it's a ticking clock. They have 15 days to cross the country. And the guy, the father, keeps putting it off. You suggested that he's not a perfect character. And he has a lot of growth to do. But um, uh, each stop along the way, he thinks, well, this is what I'm going to tell the kid because it's going to affect his life for the rest of time. And he finds a way to put it off. Uh, and they have uh, a lot of adventures. Uh, I was lucky because my son and I kept a photo journal of our trip 20 years ago, and I used that as my outline. So everywhere that we stopped, the characters in the book stopped. It's just that in the book, they get into a lot more trouble than my son and I did. I was going to say, it seems like every stop has a new, I don't know, misadventure. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it, yeah. I mean, the the first day, Yosemite, uh, which is a logical first stop, the dad thinks it would be a super idea to cross the Merced River and have a picnic on the other side, not taking into account that the river is deeper than the boy is tall. Uh, So he gets to watch his son uh, get washed downstream, and that night a huge black bear comes to their campsite, and rather than get the kid and hide in the truck like a good father, uh, Brendan thinks, okay, I'm going to stare this bear down, and we're going to see who's the master of the domain, uh, and like that. So uh, he's um, impetuous and reckless and foolish, and part of the story is that he has to grow up. A 52-year-old man has to grow up and learn to become a better father. I don't want to give too much away, but obviously he has <laughs> he has some issues, as you mentioned, that he has to grow up, and he's, he's, he's working through, and he's trying to figure out how to how to best ex- rationalize, maybe, or maybe not, I guess, maybe explain his life and what's to come to his um, to his son as well as kind of, I guess, really kind of figure it out him, himself, sort of, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a moment uh, when the father and son stop in Battle Mountain, um, Nevada, which has the distinction of being called the armpit of America, and the father thinks, well, it could be worse. But the, um, uh, the wife checks in with them and and asks if the father has told him the boy the secret and uh when is he going to do that and he's and the wife says you have a mission you have to prove that you're worthy of being loved 
And that's not being funny because we all know you are, and it's not being a wise guy or the life of the party. It's can you really prove that you're lovable? And that's an interesting question for anybody to ask. And as the journey goes on and worse things happen, the father really questions it himself. Is he being the best person that he could be? And I think it's very timely for readers to ask ourselves that question. Is our country being the best that it can be? Are our politicians being the best they, best they can be? And so the book has proved to be way more timely than I had anticipated. But I, near the end, the father finally starts to see some light, and he has a statement where he says, maybe that's how you become a better father, a better filmmaker, a better lover, a better teacher, is learning to become a better person. And that's really the whole mission of the story. You've got a lot of traveling in there between uh, between the the beginning and 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 the end. I know you, you mentioned it was kind of based loosely on a, on a on a road trip you took with your own son, but how did you decide the kind of points of interest that you wanted to include in in this tale? Um, again, uh, no decision was made, and it was it was a, a same non decision that I made twenty years ago. Because um, I don't know if you've driven across the country. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, but. Um, the, the natural resources uh, and points of interest don't follow a straight line. So if you're leaving L.A., Yosemite is kind of a natural starting point. And from Yosemite, you want to maybe head uh, east and hit Great Salt Lake, and then you want to veer to the north and go to Yellowstone, and then you want to zigzag over to the um, uh, Custer's Last Stand Natural National Park, and then you want to take a right and go down to Mount Rushmore. So there's a lot of zigging and zagging going on, and that's um, um, very helpful in the telling of a story because stories can tend to not be straight lines either, and, I, and that's very appealing to a storyteller to think, okay, what's the surprise going to be? And there are lots of surprises in, the, in this book, and it's kind of a page-turner in, in certain ways. Is there a particular episode in this journey that just particularly struck you as you were writing. Well, yeah, and <clears throat> the, the, when they reach the exact half point of midway point of our country, at least that's where the I ninety west and I ninety east meet, which is in Blue Earth, Minnesota, mm -hmm. which is such an exotic sounding town that the father can't resist pulling off the road. And it just so happens that in Blue Earth, Minnesota, there is a gigantic statue of the Jolly Green Giant. And that gets the father thinking, wow, maybe this is, maybe there's a message here. Maybe I'm being summoned. Uh, and so a big chunk of the book takes place in Blue Earth, and questionable and challenging things happen. And a character comes along who does not have the boy's best interest at heart, and that puts the father in the position of trying to be a late-to-the-party hero. And uh, so, yeah, that, that is um, a gripping moment. And I remember vividly when I got to that point in the story, you come to exit 119 on I-90, and you think, I can either go straight or I'm going to take a right. And as a storyteller, that's like um, paradise because, yes, then, then none of those things happen in my own life, but they all happened in my imagination. And it was that sort of midpoint of not only the journey but of the story where something significant and profound had, had to happen. Um, what ultimately does he l learn about himself? Well, I think what we all learn is that there's more to us than we at first think. There's more than is in the mirror or in photographs or in video. There, there are, there are, we all have secrets, and we all have ways that we can improve. And um, <clears throat> the father's going to realize quickly that he has to just 
get better. He has to find his potential, and um, <clears throat> it takes some doing. And, and, and there's a moment, um, and I think anybody who's a parent listening to this can understand that he misplaces his child at one point. And that's when you really find out what love is, when you find out what you've lost. And it's terrifying for the father, and he finds himself spending a night in jail in Blue Earth, Minnesota, because he's screwed up, and he doesn't know where the kid is, and it's harrowing and terrifying. And that sort of is the anvil that hits him in the forehead and makes him realize, wow, uh, this is I can't, I can't glide anymore. I have to be better. My kid's 10 years old, and I've got to step up to the challenge. Ernest, in, in all the different creative endeavors that, that you've, you've done over, over your career, is it the same thing that, that, that sparks the, the creativity, that sparks the interest that has in your other work that, that did in, in this novel? Well, in a way, <clears throat> I've often been asked where do stories come from, and I say uh, they're everywhere. You just have to open your eyes and ears and look and listen. Um, and I teach workshops for writers who come from all over the country, and I say the same thing to them. If you can't think of uh, characters or a plot or a story, go home because every family is full of them. Um, my first <laughs> success was with a play and a movie called On Golden Pond, and um, that wasn't autobiographical, but I spent summers on a lake in Maine, and that sort of invited me to explore and look kind of deeper and, and create characters, and, and that's what I'm doing 50 years later. I still am making stories that way, and uh, I love it when they present themselves, and I love it when they sort of write themselves. What do you hope that the, the reader that, that picks up this book, what do you hope that they take away from, from the story you've, you've woven together? Well, there's a line in the book where it says that every piece of art is an invitation, whether it's a painting or listening to a song, watching a play or a movie or a television show or reading a book. It's an invitation, and you can find yourself in it. And I've <clears throat> on Golden Pond was on Broadway um, uh, 42 years ago, and the movie came out 40 years ago, and to this day, people are saying, you wrote about me. That was my story. You must have been under my bed. You must have known my relationship with my father. And I think people will have the same experience reading the book of maps. They, it may not be a father and son. It may be a mother and daughter or any combination thereof. But I think people are going to read it and think, wow, he's kind of talking about me. I want to go on that adventure. And someone asked me the other day, do you think there's going to be a trend now where dads are going to take their young kids on, on trips? <laughs> And part of the fun, I mean, it's, and, and it sounds way less funny than it is. It's a riotously hilarious book, and they have lots of enjoyment. And at every state they pass into, they change their names, which is a way for the father to teach the kid creativity and, and um, spontaneity. And, uh, and so maybe that will happen. Maybe dads will drive uh, across from Illinois or Kentucky to uh, Washington State, and each state along the way they'll become somebody else, and they'll have the same kind of wild adventures that the characters have in the Book of Maps. You, you mentioned something I just couldn't, that I just couldn't help but, but not, not think about. I, I remember when, when the movie um, came out, and my, my dad and my granddad <laughs> uh, drugged me to go see it with them. Mm -hmm. And as a as a as a young teenager, like oh come on, you want me to go see this movie? Yeah. And it, it had a profound effect on me, even as a as yeah. a, as a fourteen year old kid. I mean, it yeah. Just and I think it was there seeing it with my father and my mm -hmm. grandfather. And you're right. There's some, There was just something incredibly universal uh, about about that story. 
Well, yeah. Jeff, that's a sign of success for me as a writer is if I write a very simple story, and that tends to be my approach to storytelling, to write character and relationship-driven stories. But the simplicity becomes universal, and I think that's really what makes a story resonate for a wide, wide audience. And people have asked me, what's your readership for the Book of Maps? And I'll say, well, I don't know, everybody. Uh, boomers, for sure, I'm one. Uh, there are lots of references to 50s and 60s and growing up in America, but it's for everybody. I, I, I don't think it's for 10-year-olds because there's language in it, there are situations, there are sexual implications, nothing graphic or vivid, but, but everybody else, I think, will find something to relate to in the Book of Maps. And as I said, I, I've read just enough of it to be dangerous, but uh, many of these places... Um, I, I, I definitely recognize, and while I maybe didn't have quite the adventure that these, mm -hmm. yeah. that these two had, it, you're right. It, it certainly does. It certainly does uh, tell a story of, of you know your, your story of your own life while you through these experiences that, while different, are, are still yet shared. I think so, and I, and I I have this quaint theory that every love story, whether it's in literature or in life, is an exchange of gifts. And the father has something to give the boy, and the boy has something to give his dad. And if people think about that in their own lives, marriages or parent-child relationships or even casual relationships, uh, sports uh, team members and people at work, everybody has something to give somebody else. And if we're open and awake and aware, then we can receive those gifts. And, and you, you said, you mentioned that the book is, takes place in 2002. 2002 seems like a period piece now uh, and relatively innocent compared to what our country has come to at this moment. So I think there's definitely a sense of longing for a simpler time, and I think that speaks to readers as well. Uh, the Sun, uh, uh, Brenlin, went through a lot of different things as well. What, as, a, as a young child, what do you think that he, his, he took away from this trip with his dad across the country? Well, I think it's cumulative, and <clears throat> I liken it to any great adventure story, whether it's the Odyssey or Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. they, they keep encountering characters who have something to show them, something to share with them. And there's a, there's a moment when they're in Montana and they go see this um, rock formation that's been sacred to Native Americans for thousands of years, and, uh, and they can't go because um, they don't allow non-Native Americans to go, but they find the rancher who owns the land, and they sort of inveigle their way into getting to go there. And the rancher, who's this great Marlboro squinting guy, uh, says, okay, son, come over here uh, and touch this rock and look up and you'll look into the skies and you'll see the same thing that our predecessors for thousands of years have seen. And if you touch it, you're touching time. And, you know, that's a profound moment for a 10-year-old boy to think, wow, I'm part of a much bigger legacy than it ever occurred to me when I'm sitting staring at my uh, Game Boy or whatever. And uh, so the kid has uh, has a lot to learn, not just from his dad, but from Growing up, you know, it's it's a it's a challenge for him to also um, get his act together and and sort of look in his own mirror and think, wow, that's who I am. I I fit into this story. That's author, actor, and playwright Ernest Thompson. His new novel is The Book of Maps. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.